Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. There's been some interesting conversation on Twitter over the last few months with people that I like to follow, and we've been debating what do we call people who do lots of different things. And my favorite comes from some teaching that I had when I was learning all about the bone marrow when I was a medical student. And we talk about cells in the bone marrow that can do lots of different things early on, and they can shape shift and they can determine what they want to do. But they, uh, in that first phase, they are what is called pluripotent. They have multiple different potencies, and I love that word. And my guest today is someone who is pluripotent. She is far into her career, but yet she remains the very definition of multiple different options and multiple different potencies. We are going to discuss this all with Shauna Pandya in just a couple of seconds here. Before we get started, just want to remind everyone, please come check out the website for the podcast, www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can find me on Twitter at ETS Show. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. I love to interact with folks. Love to hear from people that are listening to the show and what you're enjoying and what we can do differently and folks you'd like to hear from. Also, please find us on all of your favorite platforms. We are on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. You can find Explore the Space on it. And I would just ask you, please, if you're enjoying Explore the Space or any podcast for that matter, please take a moment to subscribe to your favorite shows and definitely leave a rating and a review. As podcasts are growing, there's so many out there now. People like to do what I call window shop when they're looking for podcasts. And the way that you can help other people find the shows that you like and that are important to you is to subscribe and to leave them a rating and a review on whichever platform you like. So please take the opportunity to do so. So we are going to go on a wild ride. I have no idea where this is going to take us, but we're going to have some fun. Shauna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. And I love that description, pluripotent. I have to say, no one's ever called me that before. So uh, I want to take it and run with it. You should absolutely do so. All right, we're going to start with some questions. I don't script my show, but as I was getting ready for this, I'm like, we're just going to do some quick hitters. All right. And this is going to kind of set the framework for people who may not have heard of you and may not know why we're calling you pluripotent, but let's set the stage. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. How, what's the fastest you've ever gone? Oh, that uh, in a car, probably should admit this, 212 kilometers per hour. All right. How about airborne? Airborne. Oh, I, <laughs> I love that you have to think about it. <laughs> many, many knots at uh, okay. uh, various altitudes. Um, so that's my second question. Various amounts of pressurization. All right. So my second question, what's the highest you've ever gone? Uh, highest to date would uh, be just a commercial aircraft, a okay. commercial airliner. But the things I've done at various altitudes have uh, probably been outside the norm that most people would do. And have you ever not been subject to the laws of gravity? <laughs> that is correct. I have, <laughs> I have defied the confines of 1G before. That's awesome. All right. Why am I asking you these questions? Because I have <laughs> a kind of... Batman Bruce Wayne persona. So I am a physician, right. but I am also a scientist astronaut candidate, oh, I love um, it. I love which it. is a fancy way of saying I get to do some really cool things with astronautics, including testing uh, IVA spacesuits, which is a special kind of spacesuit designed for in flight um, scenarios. And I've tested them in zero G, uh, as well as in spacecraft mock landing scenarios. Uh, and it's been a wild ride. 
So you've been doing this incredible stuff and it's too much to cover in one podcast, obviously. Your website, and we'll have links to it in the show notes, is just packed with stories and links and videos, and it's awesome. At what point were you saying, I want to pursue some things that are way out there on the sharp edge? Did it precede medical school? Was it, have you been, were you a thrill seeker as a kid? How does that button flip? Because what you're doing for me is anathema. Like, I get scared looking at the pictures of you. Um, what, what flipped that button for you to say, I want to go, I want to defy gravity. I want to fly really fast. I want to drive really fast. I want to test spacesuits. How does this happen? That is a great question. I have a big smile on my face as you're asking me all these things. So it's, it's just been a lifelong journey. I, I haven't found limits. Um, I, the way I live my life is it's this, this seems fun. Let's try it. And Hey, I'm still here. So let's do the next thing. And I'm still here, so let's do the next thing. I take I take calculated risks. Okay, Um, fair enough. There, there is some element of risk calculation, <laughs> identification, mis- mitigation, which right. we can talk about. Um, but can I share there, my story of risk mitigation while doing an extreme yeah. activity? Yeah, for so sure. So when I finished high school, my best friend Dave and I, and he's a fan of the podcast, so he's going to know exactly what we're talking about. We decided to go skydiving. And the night before, Dave totally psyched me out to the point where I could not sleep. Mark, what if we die? Mark, what if our shoots don't open? <laughs> Mark, should we not do this? This isn't a very good idea. So we get there and we get all suited and booted and we do all this stuff and it's a tandem jump. So it's not like a lot of training or anything. Basically have to watch a video and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm vagal. I'm, I'm not feeling great, but I'm going to do this. And (laughs) we get all clipped on and I meet the guy who I'm going to jump with and he's wearing flip flops, which to me was a bad prognostic sign. And so I asked him with Dave standing there, um, when do we get our helmets? And he just looked at me and he said, buddy, if our shoots don't open, a helmet is not going to help us. Oh God, I get, I still get like queasy thinking about that moment. Well, it's not wrong to be fair. No, it's not, but oh my God. Um, but at least, I mean, at least you were thinking about this before, uh, you went up because my, my skydiving story begins when I went for my solo accelerated free fall, um, skydiving license. And I realized all of these things and how dangerous it could be right when I was standing at the aircraft door hanging out of the airplane at 14,000 feet, it was like, oh, hey, I'm not afraid of heights, but I'm afraid of jumping from heights. And uh-huh. That's kind of when I, <laughs> I came to that realization. But it's, a tough place to, it's a tough place to have that thought. We did the one, I got to try to find the screen grab to go with this, but we did the one where somebody jumped with us with the video camera on his helmet, and this is way before GoPro or anything. And I'm in the thing and I'm yelling and screaming and thumbs up and cheering and we're all super excited. And then he swings out and looks back into the door when I'm standing there and I don't look good. Let's just leave it at that. I do not look good at all. And then we jump. (laughs) But you lived, you lived to tell the tale. I did. I did. So is there, let's talk a little bit about this idea of limits though, because clearly we, I, I love the idea of the, the sort of milieu of thoughts, right? Of stepping out of the comfort zone, of stepping into tension, of stepping into things that make you nervous, of pushing limits. And I don't say them as platitudes. They, they are meaningful to me because they're things that I'm not always very good at. Would you say that you are good at this work? Would you say that you are good at doing this? Or do you feel like something else is driving you to really push yourself and to do some pretty extraordinary things? I love what I do. Yeah. Um, there's no, there's no question about that. And um, every, 
every excursion, every every training course, every experiment that I do, um, you know, someone once asked me how it feels, and I said, you can't you can't be wearing spacesuit and not have the biggest grin on your face. Um, <laughs> but I've also been asked why push the limits, um, right. and that's something I've had time to think about. And there's there's two answers that come to mind. So the first answer is it's like it's like pushing the limits. It's like materials stress testing in engineering. Why do we why do we stress materials? A, it's to find the breaking point. So why do we want to do that? Because we have two options at that point. We can define that limit as the upper limit of how far we want to go and say I don't want to go any further, or we can reinforce the material and push even further the next time and make the material stronger. And I think character is a lot like that in that by pushing our own limits, we test our own character, we define our limits, or we say, hey, that was pretty cool and I can push the limits further uh, next time. So that's my first answer. Um, my second answer is, how do we know what else is unknown and what else is out there to be discovered if we don't push the boundaries? And I'll give you an example. Um, I did a an analog um, expedition. So analog expedition means that um, we were we did a, a an analog environment is basically a, an analog for a space environment. So we were at the Mars Desert Research Station in Utah in the desert last year, and basically it's uh, real life on fake Mars. There is a wow. simulated Mars habitat there, and you're locked in a tin can with your crew for two weeks. Um, and the, one of my favorite parts, hands down, about that expedition is we would go on EVAs or extravehicular activities um, every day, and we would don our simulated spacesuits, we would go on our rovers, and we would just cover kilometers, miles on foot, um, in in our spacesuits. And we, I was paired with another Canadian, and Canadians have a reputation for just being climbers and hiking and just if there's something to climb, they'll climb it. And the question coming back to limits is why push the limits? Why why climb that thing that's really steep and and silty and not not very climbable? Um, because if we didn't dare to climb them, we wouldn't know what views lay to be seen at the top of those summits. We wouldn't see what paths we could we could follow after that. And it's just the perfect metaphor for pushing limits in life. Like why, why explore this aspect of science? Why take on this expedition? So you can see what comes next and discover even more and push, push your boundaries of knowledge and experience even further. I'm getting, I'm getting like all fired up hearing you talk about it like that. Cause that is so, it's so amazing that that perspective that you give. And I, it, it really works because it is that idea of you crest a hill and you look out into the great valley beyond, right? That's the, that's the opening scene of so many movies where, you know, the, the lonely climber gets to the top and looks out and, and there is the, there's the valley that they've sought their whole life. And, and I just love the way you put that. Do you have to pace yourself? Are you able to maintain a tempo around the clock? Like, are you doing stuff all the time? Do you have to stop and take breaks both for mental and physical rest? What is the rhythm at which you're able to push yourself in these extreme environments? I would say it's the same as which the pace at which I operate on a daily basis. And so I'm just going to throw some physics at you here. The way I run my life is like Newton's laws of motion. Like if I, if I am at rest, I will stay at rest and it's not a very 
comfortable place for me to be and it's not a place I like to 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 operate at but when I'm in motion I just like to keep the momentum going I love having to-do lists and having things to check off and when I'm getting on a roll and getting things done whether it's related to space or medicine or fitness like I just love plugging through those lists and getting um you know getting getting what I want to do done um so there is that um but I will say there is value in learning to limit yourself and there was something that my ninth grade teacher once said to me, and I did everything in French immersion growing up. So she said, uh, il faut apprendre à vous limiter. And that's just a French way of saying, you have to learn to limit yourself. And so there is value in having the discipline to hold yourself back at times, because it means that you're, you're just it, it raring to go the next time. So for example, um, I love, I love the gym. I love my two hour workouts, but on the days when I say, okay, you know, I've, I've had a, an amazing workout, but I'm just going to specifically skip this muscle set. I'm going to specifically skip the, the leg workout today. It, it makes me feel unsatisfied and makes me just anxious to get back to the gym the next time, uh, because I want to, I want to, um, push even further because I've been limited before. And so, for example, sometimes when I'm going and I'm getting a lot done, sometimes I will purposely limit myself saying, oh, hey, it's midnight now. Uh, I should probably go to bed because that there's that just that itch that needs to be scratched, that feeling of unsatisfaction that, oh, my gosh, I was, uh, there's, I'm in the middle of something. I'm so close to being done. Uh, I want to get it done, but that means I'm just that much more motivated to get it done, whether it's the next time I um, get back to the gym or it's when I wake up in the morning. It's it's like it's like being in a fight and being three points down. You just want to fight that much more for um, what you're going after when you learn to limit yourself. It's funny that you mentioned fights because you're an accomplished martial artist. And on your website, as I was kind of learning about you several months ago when we first connected online, and getting ready to think about, okay, what are we going to talk about and what things interest me? We're going to just dip into your photo archive a little bit here. And there's a picture of you. You're, you're, you're the fighter in red. So you have the red helmet, the red boots, the red gloves, and you are putting a boot on somebody. It's, it looks like just this enormous roundhouse kick right to the side of the head. Is that part of the same thrill seeking? Not because you want to hurt somebody, but that thrill of competition, that thrill of martial arts, of close combat, is that that same driver of what happens if I get hit? What happens if I hit? How does that sort of fit in? Because for me, martial arts and close combat is way out of my comfort zone. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, you know, that's a great question. So, so for context, I'm a second degree black belt in Taekwondo uh, and I dabble in Muay Thai as well. And I've gone to Thailand numerous times to just train in Muay Thai fight camps. Um, and so, so I've, I've been in my share of fights. It's funny because when you start out, when you're a young color belt, it is just about being the most aggressive and it's about throwing punches and kicks. But when you get to that upper level, when you first get your black belt, I would say that's when I really first learned to compete because aggression alone isn't going to win you the fight. It is just a like it, it is a, a compendium of of factors, whether it's physical training, reading your opponent, deciding if you are going to be 
uh, reactive or proactive or just straight out aggressive this fight by looking at how your opponent moves, um, looking at what your strategy will be when you attack. It, it was like learning to spar all over again. And I've, it's, it's, it's not, it's not just, it's not something that's limited to martial arts because when you get to that next level, um, whether it's making that transition from medical student to resident to staff attending in medicine, um, whether it's going from your pilot's license as a student to soloing for the first time to, tar- to training for your commercial license, whether it's um, going from your getting your solo skydiving designation, um, it, it, every single one of these things, the lesson is the same. You have to learn the basics first, and then once you get that fundamental knowledge, that's when that's when the game begins. That's when the strategy begins. That's when the multitude of factors to handle, um, whether it's it's in a fight or managing multiple patients as a staff doctor, that's when it all comes to a head. Um, and so, coming back to your original question. Um, it is, you know, it's it's not just it's not just about thrill seeking. It's about strategy and the intellectual um, mastery as well. So we're putting together kind of an interesting puzzle here, where on the one hand you're doing these extraordinary pursuits because you want to, as you put it, get to the top of that hill and look out and be able to see what's next. We're building in fundamentals of aggression plus strategy equals something or maybe even aggressive aggression plus strategy plus tenacity patience timing all of that equals something and then all of the skill set that goes into being a physician when we put all of this together and taking that sort of strategic high view and and i've had i'll be honest it's been interesting for me to try to elucidate this before we spoke to what end are, we, are you doing all of this work? Is there a goal in mind? And, and as, I, as I'll as i ask, right, using your website as the template, it's you in space. Is there a goal in mind? Is is Do all of these pieces come together or is this more, this is the tapestry, this is the, this is the rug that'll make up the kind of the scope of your life? That's a great question. Um, so there, you're asking two questions. Um, you're asking, what are my goals? That was generous and- to say two. I thought it was probably like five, sorry. <laughs> Uh, you're asking my goals and you're asking my values. And so I definitely have goals in my life. Um, and I have long-term goals that I know what I would like to do in my life. And then I also break that down into immediate term goals as in what needs to be done today for that to happen short term, medium term, long-term goals. Um, and definitely space is on there. Um, and I have my goals in, in medicine, I have my goals in martial arts and piloting, diving, everything. Um, but when you're asking what the tapestry is, that tapestry that makes up everything and that drives me is my values. And I think it's so, so important to know as an individual what your values are and to to take them and to concretely and conscientiously list them. And then ask yourself as an individual, who is it that I want to be? Who is it that I want to be perceived as? Who is it that I want to be perceived as? How am I perceived by others? How do I perceive myself? And how in line are all of those things? Um, And I think it starts with listing your values and um, knowing and seeing is the way I act in alignment with that. And so, for example, I actually just did that today, um, 
just out of the blue, just took time to relist them. And exploration, discovery, creation, creativity, intellectual pursuit, compassion, um, and then and then loyalty um, to those who are important to me. Um, those all topped out the list. And that you know, when you look at everything that I do um, and how I approach even my relationships, it makes a lot of sense that the way I act is a reflection of the fact that these are my top values. I really like that. And I, it makes me wonder as you're listing out all of these things, right? The people that listen to the show are in medicine. People that listen to the show are not in medicine. And I'm curious as you, not that you would rank these sorts of things, but where do you, where would you say that the thrill, the challenge, the difficulty, the, the aspiration of, working with patients of being a doc where does that fit in do you get that same rush is it a different kind of a rush is it a different kind what what is it in that milieu for you because right we're talking astronaut we're talking martial artist we're talking you know we're talking scuba diving we're talking all this stuff i don't I, i'm curious i don't think that this is the case but the the being a doctor part it's not lost in the shuffle and i know that but where is it in this mix for you because becoming a doc consumes so much of us in the first place. Absolutely. Um, medicine is all-encompassing, and it's really, um, as I'm sure you and your, your um, audience has noted, that there's definitely some important discussions on Twitter and elsewhere about how, how we can um, maintain um, you know, physician well-being when medicine is so all-encompassing. Um, but coming back to the original question, it's definitely part of that intellectual pursuit and that yeah. compassion um, and that uh, ex expanding um, knowledge in as a species. Um, my own personal areas of passion of research relate to space medicine, extreme environments, psychological resilience. Um, so those definitely very much come into play um, uh, in medicine. And then also coming back to the earlier question of you know, what is the link between martial arts and piloting and medicine? And it's at a higher level. Um, when you take down one wall or when you clear one hurdle, you see the next. And, you know, managing the intellectual um, uh, dance or the intellectual juggle of knowing the academic aspect, looking at how it fits into the context of your patient, uh, knowing what motivates your patient and how that may affect their compliance. It's very much in line with every uh, all of my other pursuits. So I want to go back to looking at the gallery again. Can we do that? I have, yeah, another, I have another one that I need to ask you about. It's a forward-facing one. It's not hard to find. Okay. You, you just You'll know what it is when I describe it. You're, it looks like you're in a cockpit. You don't have a helmet on. You're wearing regular sunglasses. You're clearly airborne because I can see clouds in the background of the picture. I can't tell if you're smiling or grimacing. What is happening in this picture? Oh, is this the one? I have my flight suit on and my name badge. And yeah, I know which one you're talking about. No, so yeah, but you're covered up with like, you know, six inch wide, gigantic restraints. You're, it's a reinforced, you know, cabin of some variety. It's on your about page and it's bonkers. Uh, I know which one you're talking about. So this was at our Project Possum Ground School. Okay. So um, so this comes back to the citizen scientist astronautics part, which also forms a very large part of my life. Um, and so citizen scientist astronautics refers to the um, 
idea of contributing to astronautics and human space flight um, outside of the confines of a governmental space agency like the, the Canadian Space Agency or NASA. Um, and so I've been really lucky to be part of this organization for the past five years. We've done amazing things like test um, spacesuits in zero G. And so the first thing that you'll go through is a ground school where you learn about the scientific mission um, that awesome uh, uh, pursues, and then you get to experience really cool things like aerobatic flight, which is what the picture you're describing. That's um, what I was wondering. Yeah. Yes. So, um, as as part of the ground school, you undergo aerobatic flight. Um, as which, one does, right? I mean, as, as one does. One does. Yeah. And so, for those who don't know, it's like when you go to an air show and you see for those, those who the, don't um, know. That's almost all of us. <laughs> so if you've ever been to an air show and you've seen an airplane do a loop-de-loop or jackhammer right, right. sideways or plunge, you know, take on uh, an increased G-load or G-profile, yeah. we were lucky enough to be passengers um, to experience that and to see what different G-profiles were like. But we also got to contribute um, to science in that we were also monitoring our own vital sign, uh, vital signs um, during that uh, during that flight. And so here's the physiological nerding out part because I know we have a medical audience. So normally I run really low. I run like a 90 over 60, 90 over 50 as a blood pressure. Um, so I actually managed to get my blood pressure at the height of a loop. So I was upside down and this was at the, at the peak of the loop. My systolic was 156, which I think is a personal best. So. Wow. That's pretty, yeah, yeah, that's up there. Now, I just want to say, too, before we started recording, you mentioned to me that you have parakeets and that mm -hmm. they're in the house. And I said, that's awesome because sometimes my dog will bark. It's really interesting because when I asked you about that, your birds clearly know you because when you started talking about that picture, they went nuts. I loved it. I could hear them. It was like you were flying with them. They went bonkers. I, it, my mic picked all of it up and I'm keeping it in. It is the coolest thing. They went completely <laughs> crazy. Yeah, I, uh, you know, they're very, they're very people powered. Um, and it's, some people have made that actually observation before because um, with the whole EVA spacesuit, all women mission cancellation that happened last yes. month, uh, I was asked to comment on it. Yeah. <laughs> and so as I got really animated about that, the parakeets picked right up and I guess they're, they were just as passionate about gender equality as I, I am. I love it. That's so cool. I, I, I want to keep it in. I mean, they're there. It's in the background, and I, I love it. It's part of the part of the tapestry of this of this episode. Have you ever passed out because of because of being in a hygiene environment? No. Um, so there's ways to mitigate against it. So there's something called the hook maneuver, and basically you're just increasing the peripheral, peripheral vascular resistance okay. uh, in your extremities. And so basically. Uh, it's like a very strong Valsalva. So um, you sit and your feet are flat on the floor and basically you're doing a strong Valsalva as well as tightening all of your um, distal um, muscles so you can get that increased uh, central return. Uh, and so the way to do that is plan to do this with Valsalva, but you're also grunting and it sounds like a hook. So, so it's like, that's why it's called the hook maneuver. So you're going hook. Um, so, so if you feel like you're coming close when you're um, uh, undergoing a large uh, G profile, especially in the Y axis, the head to toe axis, uh -huh. um, it it's, uh, definitely prevents blood flow to the brain. So that's why you're trying to get more return. Um, there was one time, so I was in a centrifuge and we were undergoing... Um, <laughs> 
we were undergoing of course uh, you were. profiles related to suborbital commercial vehicles, okay. and one of them was a 6G load in oh. the x direction, so front to back. And so it wasn't a matter of not getting enough uh, cerebral blood flow. It was just a matter of, holy cow, it's hard to breathe yeah. when you have six times your body weight on your chest. And I was like, you know what? If I just pass out, I pass out. It won't be. It won't last that long. So I was just like, I'm not going to breathe through this. Oh. Uh, and then you know they're monitoring you with through video and through biosensors, and they're, they they come on in overhead, and they're like, uh, Shana, you should probably start breathing now. I was like, well, I guess if you insist, but oh my um, gosh, it, it can become pretty hard. And so there's techniques as well. There's personal breathing to to increase. Um, uh, to make it easier to move your chest um, and to get to that oxygenation into your lungs, um, but it is—it can be quite hard. It, it increased kilos. So this is interesting. As I'm listening to you do these descriptions, I'm hearkening back to some you know basic fundamentals of physics, of physiology, pathophysiology of disease, all of these sorts of things. And you mentioned earlier in the show this importance of of knowing your fundamentals and putting in the right building blocks. Where does that start for someone who wants to do this sort of work? I can speak to what it, where you started if you want to be a doctor. But if you want to be able to function in these extreme environments, if you want to pursue spaceflight, if you want to be an aerobatics pilot, if you want to be a deep sea diver, where do those fundamentals, like for you, where did you start to lay those building blocks in to say, I see where my goal is, I'm X number of years old, I'm at Y phase of my life, I need to start putting these pieces in place? That's a great question. So, you know, I've always been really driven, but I always think I can do better. Um, and one of the tools, two of the tools, I would say that have become a huge proponent of our resilience and coping. And so uh, there's actually a lot of research around this. And resilience is not an innate concept. And so starting with the basic definition, resilience is the ability to persist despite hardship or stress or adversity and you can be doing very well in your life but even that can be stressful so having having the fortitude to continue um that's what resilience is and it's not like oh this person has it and this person doesn't the research actually shows that there are five key components um, that make up resilience and that these can be taught and those five key components are positive self-talk having a positive social support circle breaking things down mental rehearsal, and impulse control. Um, and just as similarly, there is research around coping, um, which is actually very much akin to the research around resilience. Um, and those come down to planful problem solving. So again, breaking things down, being able to endure hardship. So again, impulse control, seeking social support. Uh, again, there's also social supports, emphasizing the positive. So there's that positive self-talk. And then relying on luck because not everything is within your control. And so this research, um, one of my areas of passion is research, uh, psychological resilience in extreme environments and long duration space flight. So this is where those um, components have been derived from, but you don't, you don't need to go live in Antarctica. You don't need to go live in space to, to, for those components to be valuable. You can be going about your daily life. You can be raising your kids. Um, and juggling a job as well as, you know, family commitments and knowing what resilience is and how you can build it up and how you can uh, increase your coping skills is just as important, you know, whether you're going up to the ISS or whether you are dealing with everyday life. 
So this is fascinating because when you said resilience and you said that it's something that we can build to and something that we need to have to function, I agree with you 100%. This subject comes up a lot with regards to physicians interacting with the current healthcare environment and the ways in which we deal with the negative stressors and the things that are driving physicians to want to leave the field that drive physician burnout, that drive lack of productivity, that drive people to consider suicide. So some really, really grave and difficult things. And when people bring up the concept of let's increase physician resilience to mitigate those things, I push back hard. I don't like that. I'm very resilient. I'm tough. I've gotten through a lot of different things in my life. I don't need to be more resilient. I need the system to change so that myself and my teammates who are just as tough and resilient as I can, as I am, can continue to function. But that's not what you're talking about. How do we split resilience up so that when you say it, I don't get that immediate conflation of screw that. I don't need more of that. I'm fine to see there's some real genius in what you're talking about and that, that everyone should think about and should nurture and should try to build just like any muscle. That's a really good question. And I know I've definitely seen um, you comment as well as a lot of med, med Twitter comment on this. And I think the observations that you've made are very astute and you're, you're right. We need to have a discussion around this because um, yeah, we cultivating individual resilience is important but when you're, the, the, I think someone phrased it on uh, on Twitter as saying, uh, why why are we putting the blame on physicians who are burnt out, and why aren't we asking why the system is one that constantly burns people out? So there's there's two questions there, right. and it's kind of like the analogy in medicine. You know, you can be a diagnostician, or you can take the epidemiological preventative health. Um, uh, approach and say, okay, instead of treating the people in the village who are dying of cholera, why not go to the water stores right. and look at the stream where the contamination right, is? Right, right. Well, like, like, for example, right, when we think about resilience, uh, it's almost like there's resilience subset A and resilience subset B. Resilience subset A is going to be the, the, the Dr. Shauna Pandya one. I want more of that one. That's the one that I want to learn how to, to keep growing and to keep building and to make part of my lifelong journey. I really want that. And hearing you speak about it and lots of other people who I've been really fortunate to speak to who have that, I want that and I want my family to have it and I want my friends and my teammates to have it because it's good. It's the right work. But then resilience subset B is that noxious one. It's that one that blame shifts that says the way you feel is your fault, toughen up. And that's the one that I have a problem with. Absolutely. And so this is the second part of the discussion that we need to have. Um, and the way I've started, I've definitely started to think about my own actions and how I um, approach it. Um, because unfortunately, there is a lot of malignancy in medicine and yes. a lot of it is self-generated. Um, and so the personal approach that I've adopted is how can I make it better? And it's not always a converse, it's not always a comfortable conversation, but it's one that needs to be had because and I know you've talked about this on your on your podcast before. I know you had a really great series of um, discussions with Dave Burke about culture. And the, the ultimate line is that if we are to be viewed as leaders, then we have to realize that 
workplace culture is a hall of mirrors and it is a reflection of not just what we choose to teach and preach but it's also what we accept so if we see colleagues who are doing things or saying things that are uh, adversarial or contrary to what we want to see in our culture and we're not doing anything about it it is a reflection on ourselves and the onus is on each one of us to help contribute to build that culture, not take the blame for the culture, but also make that shift to say, you know what, I don't accept this. I don't accept this level of blame or this this competition of I've gone this many days and this many hours of sleep. But we also need to ask ourselves, how can we make it better? And then also take steps to to enact those wishes that we have as leaders. It'll be fun to have you back because, you know, we, we don't have the, the three hours that we need to tease this out because you've been in both of those things. You mentioned the conversations that I've been fortunate to have with Dave Burke, and they're amazing. And, you know, he's very open about the culture that he came up in at, at Top Gun and as a fighter pilot and then as a, you know, flying the most advanced fighter jets on the planet. The culture was one of accountability and learning from mistakes and being open and transparent because anything less is dangerous. In medicine, we have work to do to get to that place, and you've walked both of those paths. When you're when you're going up in a you know into a into a six G environment in a centrifuge, it would be unsafe and reckless if people weren't communicating properly and didn't have an open and transparent culture. Someone's going to die. Um, in medicine, we need to look at it in the same way, and there is real work to be done. It'll be interesting, I think, also for you in your journey of doing your 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 public speaking and obviously the book that you're going to write someday. All of those things. Those two roads in parallel, I, I, I'll be very interested to see how you how you press them closer and closer together. Yeah, you know, I would be happy to um, talk about this at length as well, because I'm sure we could have some really good discussions around it. Um, definitely. There's so many lessons learned from, from space, from flying, from skydiving, from martial arts, from medicine. Um, and I think really important discussions to have down the road as well. I want to ask as we're kind of getting close to wrapping up here, when I first looked at your website, I mean, you know, I grew up during the era when spacecraft were going up. I've been to, I've been to mission control at, at, in Houston, Texas when I was a medical student. You know, I remember being watching the Challenger explode like that. It's been part of my life and my life's tapestry and I love it. it if you were to characterize this and, and I, you can be as honest as you like, do you think that there's a chance that one day you're going to get to go to space? Oh, absolutely. I, oh you know, gosh. everything I, I do is um, both to get myself um, to be as, as good a candidate as possible yeah. to be uh, a space, you know, uh, explorer, um, but also to help increase the body knowledge. So yeah. absolutely. That, that is definitely. Oh my gosh. That is so um, exciting. So we'll follow along. Obviously we'll root for you because that would be very, very special. Your website is also fantastic. It represents all of this cool stuff that you're doing, all of these adventures and also these philosophies and ideas that you talk about. How do people find you? So you can visit me at my website, shaunapandia.com, S-H-A-W-N-A-P-A-N-D-Y-A. And you can also find me on social media. I'm at shaunapandia on Twitter and Instagram and Dr. Shaunapandia on LinkedIn and Facebook. Your birds do not like the fact that we're wrapping up. One of them just yelled at me, I think. Oh, they'll be, uh, they'll be, they'll be more. We'll um, come back. Tell them that we'll be back. We'll explore the space. We'll come back. We'll do this again. I promise.
Great. Thank you so much for having me. This was a total blast. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I love that your birds were in the room. The next time we record, we want we want more parakeets. I want them to chime in. We're going to they'll have to do another cameo. It was just I love the, it's one of the things I love about podcasting. We get to shape this environment for 30 or 45 minutes and when these things happen whether it's birds flying outside or my dog barks or your parakeets like that's part of your life. It's part of who you are. I'm delighted that they're part of the show. This was extraordinary. Your your trajectory, your adventures are so amazing. I uh, cannot wait to talk about them some more. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Yeah, thank you so much, Mark. I really uh, enjoyed being on the show. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.